In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Good morning. I sure hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. So glad that you are here with us uh, today. I uh, hope that you have gotten all the food and football and shopping that you deserve, I suppose. Uh, but today is a, a special day. It's a special day in the life of the church, a special day in the uh, liturgical year. It is the first Sunday of a new Christian year, uh, the first Sunday of Advent, uh, we begin again to tell the story of Jesus' coming, His living, His dying, His rising, and then the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, to the church. And you might wonder, well, why, why does the Christian year, why don't we just follow the regular uh, calendar? Uh, and the answer is because the Christian story uh, begins, in fact, not just with the coming of Christ, but the anticipation of the coming of Christ. And so the month leading up to Christmas is not just filled with doorbuster sales and twinkly lights, but in the church, the month is appropriately filled with waiting. With waiting. Tom Petty said, the waiting is the hardest part. In fact, it is a discipline uh, that is built into uh, our Christian year. Specifically, we are waiting on the Lord. We are, Advent is a time of looking forward, of trusting in God's timing. Uh, an Advent filled with anticipating Christ and retelling and remembering His coming. And then also looking uh, to the realization of His coming again. So this Advent season, uh, we at Church of Our Savior, the sermons are going to focus in on the lectionary's uh, readings from Isaiah. Uh, from Isaiah, uh, because the people of Israel waited and waited for centuries and centuries for the Messiah to come. And I think perhaps more than any of the other prophets, Isaiah is the one who keeps his audience attentive to the task of waiting, pointing his people ahead to the promise of the coming King, the Messiah, the Christ. Now, our passage this morning from Isaiah chapter 2 paints a beautiful picture of a glorious future. But you need to note that that glorious future is actually answering a very honest, devastating assessment of the spiritual condition of Israel uh, contemporary to Isaiah. Now, we're going to get around to talking about this glorious future but Isaiah is shining a bright light beyond a very dark present reality uh, for the Israelites. If you're go to go back to Isaiah chapter 1, uh, what you would hear is Isaiah lamenting, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord... They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. They're utterly estranged from God. Just let that sink in for just a minute. The description of the Lord's prophet to the Lord's people saying that they have been cut off from the Lord. Now what's weird about that is that they are actually still very religious 
If you were to go on in chapter 1, we would read that they basically never miss a sacrifice. Uh, They never miss a religious festival. They're going through all the motions. But it's all hollow. It's all hollow. Their hearts are far from God, though their actions are still very religious. Their character, despite their religious actions, their character has not reflected God's character. They are essentially indifferent to God's grace and favor to them. Uh, His laws have not shaped their hearts to correct oppression or to care for the disenfranchised. You think about the mentality that they have adopted. Essentially, they, are, they, are, they basically think they've bought God off by, or, or kept Him at bay with their religiosity, with their sacrifices, with their uh, festivals, and so on. They're, they're sort of, in a sense, following the letter of the law on the outside, but their hearts uh, have lost that intimate relationship for which they were created. Uh, they are not... Seeking to delight in Him personally. They're just doing the stuff, right? They, they're not seeking to do His will, to bless His people, to enact His kingdom. Um, and there in chapter 1 of Isaiah, God is, through Isaiah, being very honest with His people. I mean, if you know that, that experience as a parent, perhaps, where, uh, or as a friend, where you have to you have to be honest and say something hard to someone you love. That's what's going on here with God. He's saying you're going through uh, religious motions, but your hearts are rebellious. You want what you want more than you want what I want. That's what God's saying to His people. And therefore, the world is not as it should be. Uh, The world is not the way I designed it to be, and you are not the way I designed you to be. But it won't always be like that, God's saying. Now before we get to that glorious future that God promises in in chapter 2, can we just ask, we take a minute and ask how we are like Isaiah's Israel in chapter 1. I mean, in what ways are we sort of just going through the religious motions and yet turning a blind eye to the will of the Lord? In what ways are we wanting what we want above what Scripture clearly commands? Now, we could look at this, I think, on on a global scale. We could look at this on a municipal scale. We could look at it on a parish scale. And we could certainly look at it on a personal scale. I mean, socially, globally, I think, I mean, we can say certainly oppression persists. Even slavery persists. But personally, rudeness persists. Greed persists. Hatred and unforgiveness persist, even as religious practice persists. Are we, as a church, are we as individual Christians, letting the love of the Lord shine through us? Are we seeking diligently and eagerly to be beacons of His righteousness and justice, of His love and His graciousness? Or are we just going through hollow religious motions and then just basically doing what we want without much thought? 
Now, I can't answer that for you. That's something that you have to take this Advent and answer for yourself. But I can say for myself that as I reflect on this, I feel like I got, I got some work to do, personally. I can say that as a parish, I think we can do a better job uh, of local missions. We do a lot, but, but local missions aren't particularly accessible to you as the congregation. And, and I can say that your mission commission uh, is in the early process of taking active steps to make participation in local, Mandarin-focused local missions uh, more accessible to you to have more impact on Mandarin. But I can also say that in the midst of our consumeristic and materialistic and individualistic culture, that what I have described to you out of Isaiah's chapter 1 has sort of a familiar ring to it. And that makes it, I think, all the more remarkable that rather than having the consequences of, of some sort of picture of divine and retaliatory judgment... God instead cast this vision of a future where all is as it should be. So we're going to turn now to our passage from Isaiah chapter 2 and uh, to see what it is that we are waiting for. And really, it comes in three stages, Isaiah says. First, God is recognized as supreme above all other gods, that we are waiting for this. This will be the first step in all as being, being as it should be. And, and that's what's meant by the mountain of the Lord being above all the other mountains and hills. Because in ancient times, uh, the high places were the points, the mountains were the points where, where uh, heaven and earth met. It makes good sense. And so those, the mountains and the high places were the... Were the um, preferred places to to worship, to build temples and so forth. And God's mountain being established as the highest mountain means that God is recognized by all as supreme above all gods and as supreme above everything else that competes for the attention of our hearts. Just think about this holiday season. Everything that's competing for the attention of your heart. And God will be supreme. Second, all nations are streaming towards Jerusalem. Now, uh, with the establishment of God as supreme, there is a magnetism to God and God's ways. Just a, a delight, an eagerness for God and His person and for God's ways. Uh, there, it is a universal magnetism where nationalism is set aside, where racial allegiances are set aside, where personal whim is set aside, and all shall say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, that He may teach us His ways, and that we may walk in His paths. Now, don't miss, don't miss this, because I just, there must be an indescribable beauty to worship where every tribe, every nation, every tongue is unified 
around the worship of the one true God, where you have the heritage and the music and the dance and the color and the fanfare of every culture coming together for one purpose. You have ethnic unity across all races. You have this, you have this inherent sense of safety and belonging for everyone. And that has to mean that if, if everyone feels safe and feels secure and like they belong, it must mean that everyone has their physical needs met. There's no hunger, there's no nakedness, there's no poverty, there's no oppression. And, and in this massive gathering with all the nations, there is unified purpose and joy where all are welcomed and all are worshiping and seeking the ways of God our Father. It is just a remarkable vision. There's this flowing in to Zion. Zion and Jerusalem sort of used interchangeably. This flowing into Zion of praise from every nation. Third, and finally, there's this, there's this going out from Zion of peace. Coming in of praise, going out of peace. Instruction in the ways of the Lord and submission to the will of the Lord for all people. For all people. And what happens, consequently, is that weapons of war are eagerly refashioned into instruments of agriculture. Just think of the significance of that. You have swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. What was once designed to end life is refashioned and repurposed to cultivate life, to feed, to nourish. In our day, we might maybe it's tanks being repurposed as grain harvesters or bombshells remade into flower beds. And I mean, it's not, I'm not talking about some sort of hippy-dippy make love, not war uh, thing. I, this, is, this is a heretofore unimagined, unexperienced state of divine peace across the renewed world. And again, it is not because people have finally wised up or because there's been some finally education has gotten out. Or people have, humanity's finally realized its potential. This state of peace and unity is the result of common worship of the one true God. This is the intimacy of Eden with global population. This is God's will. This is God's promise. This is, I think, God's heaven that Isaiah is describing. Or maybe more uh, properly to say, the new heaven and the new earth. Now the question for us now, as it was then, is how do we get from here to there? How do we get from consumeristic, materialistic, divisive, greedy, oppressive estrangement from God to this glorious promise of global unity, purpose, and praise? I have to say, I do not think it's going to be a matter of finding the right national leadership, not going to be a matter of enforcing the right laws or of solving the right global crises in the right way, as important as all of those things are. There is only one way to get from here to there, and we cannot do it. God has to do it. God has to do it in His time. And in his way. And we 
must wait. In fact, that is what Advent, the season of Advent, is all about. Ours is to wait on God. But I have to say that we know a little bit more than what Isaiah knew. Beyond what Isaiah knew, you and I know how God begun the process of redemption and salvation. You and I know that God took on flesh. He was born to a young virgin and a bewildered carpenter among someone's livestock in Bethlehem. You and I know that this child was celebrated by angels, worshipped by lowly shepherds, and feared by earthly kings. You and I know that this child would be the Son of God, that He would live a perfect life, and He would die a sacrificial and atoning death, and He would rise again to promise that our sins are forgiven by grace, through faith, and that he came to he rose again to promise that he will take us who believe in him to the realization of Isaiah's vision of praise and peace. You and I know that in his time and in his way, this crucified and risen Savior will come again to take us there. And until he does, we wait. We wait. And in the meantime, in the waiting time, we seek to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We seek to love our neighbor as ourself. We seek to be beacons of God's righteousness and graciousness. To be beacons of His love and His justice. And as often as we can to invite others to join us on the journey of faith along the way. We seek to avoid a hollow religious life, but to live in a full and joyful and affective relationship with Jesus, trusting that He will come again in His time and in His way. And until He does, we wait. Happy Advent. Amen.